You're listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, Episode 131. Welcome to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, where we explore public health epidemiology careers and share tips and strategies to help you enter or transition into the field. And now your host, Dr. Charlotte Hughes-Huntley. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining me on this episode. In this episode, we're going to talk about addressing racism in college in 2020. I want you to listen carefully, even though the message may make you feel a little awkward or uncomfortable, it might be a really good idea to question why you're feeling uncomfortable. And it's not that you're going to tell me why, but it will help you to understand a little bit more about yourself. But this is definitely a topic for this podcast because we are all public health professionals, and this is an opportunity for us to take action really quickly, like immediately following this episode. In fact, at the very end, I'm going to ask you for a very big favor. So please listen carefully, listen through. I'm going to share some very personal story and and uh, be a little bit transparent because I think that this is, like I said, an opportunity for us to take action collectively. If there's one thing I've learned especially since starting this business and this podcast, is that for every situation that you think is kind of isolated or just belongs to you or is just you're so unique, there are so many other people who are experiencing something very similar, if not the same. And when we lift up those messages and we talk about things out loud, out in the open, it it first of all battles that whole feeling of isolation and you thinking it's just you. It prevents you from suppressing those feelings and sinking further into isolation. And then it empowers you to take action and make a difference and change the course of direction. What I'm talking about is um, a situation. And this was all prompted because of an experience that my daughter's going through on her college campus. And I realized that although this is my daughter's college campus, and we could say it has something to do with the region that I live in or the area that I live in, but I know that it is not an isolated situation and it's not unique to my daughter's college campus. This is a problem. The situation exists across campuses all over the country. I also know this because recently one of my colleagues had a video that they posted on social media. And she described a situation, her experience, through completing her doctoral education and and her awareness of racism and and just described an experience. And it resonated with me. And I thought, wow, it brought up some feelings that were really suppressed for a while. And I thought, wow, Uh, just kind of like I had not forgotten about it, but I had just packed it down so deep that I just wasn't thinking about it. And then I read the comments of other women who said the same thing. Like this post brought up feelings that they had suppressed for so long. And then I found out that she was receiving messages from other women who weren't comfortable to post that it was resonating with them, but they in turn 
sent her a message sharing that information, you know, sharing with her that it resonated with them. So my point being that every time you think it's just you, it's usually not. There are other people who are suffering or dealing with the same situations. And if we suffer in silence, then nothing changes. So I also saw another post, different colleague, but this is a professional that basically was sharing tips on how to have culturally diverse conversations, how to have these conversations, how to help to interject them into regular, you know, lunchtime chat or how to use your platform to, to uh, open up discussions about diversity, about inclusion. And so that led me to using my platform. This is very much a relative topic because I mean, racism in college in this day and age today, 2020 is it's in everybody's field house. But I mean, we are public health professionals. This is relative to all of us. And so that's why it's here. Okay. So in full transparency, there's some situations my daughter's dealing with on her college campus that if I were to go into the details, it would be so disgusting. You'd probably have a difficult time listening to the full episode, or you'd be so outraged that you would want to immediately take action that may not be the best action. And my husband and I have struggled with how to handle this privately struggled with how to handle this because we both had our own ideas about what should be done. And neither one of the ideas were, I mean, they were good, but they weren't the best way to resolve the issue. And I definitely would not have been very proud of my actions if I had acted on any number of, well, the first dozen or so ideas that popped in my head. They weren't pretty. I'm not proud of that. But I'm just here to tell you that the details I choose to leave out because I don't want everybody to fixate on that. I just wanted to focus on the fact that I know it is not unique to my daughter's campus. And it's sad and sick to think that these problems are still rampant everywhere. And if I don't do what I can do and use my platform and my voice and my ability to kind of speak out and say, hey, let's do something about this, then I'll only teach them to suppress those feelings, just like I've suppressed so much of what I felt over the years. Not that I've suppressed everything, but we just grow up in a culture of suppressing our feelings. And that's how we have to numb ourselves to some degree to deal with the passive and even more direct uh, racist issues that we've had to deal with or, or situations we've been in. So let me give you a little bit of background. I am a Black female. I have three children from my first marriage. My children are black. I divorced and remarried. My husband, my current husband is white. We've been together for, we've been married for eight years. And he has two children, white children. One is biological and one that he adopted, raised from when she was young. So we don't have biological children together. We have been raising our children together you know, this blended family in every sense of the word um, since, you know, we got married and for the years that we dated, we were close before we got married. So when I met my stepson, he's the youngest of all of our children. He was a kindergartner and now he's finishing up his freshman year in high school. So we've been co-parenting and, and, and raising and leading our blended family for a long time. Now I'll tell you those details because as complicated as raising children exists. I mean, it just, it's complicated. 
It's complicated when you have a blended family. Anybody who has any sort of blend knows what I'm talking about. You start adding on other layers like, you know, racial, you know, um, interracial family, and it just gets even further complicated. So it's really difficult to communicate sometimes. And we, as a family, we have to, we are... We have to have conversations. Frankly, we have to have conversations that some families don't have to have. When you are of the same racial background and you have an issue, a racial issue that comes up, it's different. It's a different approach to that conversation and the solution and everything else when you are of the same race as it is when you are of different racial backgrounds. So we we have to have conversations. And frankly speaking, sometimes when issues come up, not just the racial issues, okay, but issues come up, sometimes we don't know how to handle them. We don't even know how to address, we don't know the answers, but we have to figure it out and we have to address it. And sometimes addressing it just means we don't know how to handle this, but we have to just keep talking about it until we figure it out. You know, we choose love every day in this family. We choose to love each other. And that's just the way we bond. And we, you know, wouldn't change anything. But sometimes we have to have those hard discussions and figure things out. Because my husband didn't grow up in the culture and setting that I did. I didn't grow up in the culture and setting that he did. And sometimes it's, I mean, it's complicated even when you are of the same ethnic background. But I'm just, the point I'm making here is just as in public health, when we have to have conversations with the community about public health issues that are very sensitive and emotionally charged, it takes an art. It's a, it's a skill set that has to always, it's, you always have to develop it. You always have to refine it. For example, vaccinations. Hot topic right now. Imagine how complicated it is to sit down for the people who have to deal directly with the community. And we all deal with the community on some level, but when you are dealing with the community on issues about vaccinations and there are heated debates about how the, what the approach should be, and everyone's got a slightly different opinion or, or drastically different view of how the, you know, how we should approach the problem. It takes a lot of, of, not just communi- you know, uh, excellent communication skills, but a whole lot of everything all rolled in together. But you have to have the conversations, right? Okay. You guys get my point here. This issue with my daughter and her college campus, as a mother, I wanted to encourage her and her friends to take the right approach, to do the right thing, to have the follow the proper steps, to be, um, you know, to really teach her how to advocate for herself, how to stand up for her, you know, the what's right, how to make her voice known. You teach all these proper channels. But one of the most frustrating things in the world is to try to encourage them to keep walking into the fire. When you see that on the other end, they're not being met. It, it they're hit with resistance and really worse. Okay. So I'm stumbling with all this because this is not easy to discuss, but the reason I want to talk about it here, and because I know this is not unique to my daughter's campus. So it's personal. Yes. The motivation is because of what happened and what was in front of me. Yes. But I'm here because I know it's not just isolated. I know it's not just my daughter's campus. 
I'm here having this kind of difficult conversation with you on this podcast, much like the difficult conversations I often have to have in my family when we don't know the exact and clear direct answers and steps to give and to take and how to make it go away, how to, you know, clean up the, the, the wound and have it heal. So, but, but we still have to do something about this. So for all of you who are listening, I want to move. I I did not want to make any decisions or take any actions out of anger because I knew that that would be, although I could have called in some really big heavy hitters with all the politically correct language and all the legal jargon and all of the proper channels. And we could have, we could have shown up in 24 hours or less in, in with a very big presence and had a huge impact. I know that. However, my thinking is by expanding this to a podcast discussion, by sharing this with all of you, we can have an even bigger impact, not just on one campus, but on multiples. And it's the whole concept of having all hands on deck. So I am asking you at this moment to follow with me on some steps here because racism is real. It is evident. It is prevalent. And just like I don't want my daughter to experience this, I don't want my son, my stepson, to walk into a college campus or to go into a scenario. And because he looks a certain way, he keeps gliding through without having and making having certain assumptions given his way and having him with this false view, which not saying that it would happen that way for him, but we are not supporting our black students who are suffering and other ethnic groups who are suffering from the effects of racism. And at the same time, we're further perpetuating this ignorant group who bypass all of this because they don't know. It is not the responsibility of the small percentage of minorities who suffer from racism to then also not only deal with their suffering, but then to teach everyone else what that means. We all have a part in this. And if we all leveled the load, we would have a much bigger impact. We don't have to sit back and wait for something to happen in front of us or someone to teach us what to do about it. We have resources that we can, and tools in front of us that we can use. So as public health, if we start to use that, impact that now, would make a big difference. I can tell, speaking to my daughter's college campus, and to all the other college campuses that fit this description. What you're doing in terms of racial, you know, diversity, inclusion, multicultural, all the things that you're doing and giving these fancy labels to are not working. Okay. It's not working. You know, it's not working because if you ask any of your minority students If they are happy, ask them about their experiences and listen to them. You will have your evidence that what you are doing is not working. It's you checking off a box and getting your funding and keeping your old funds and resources coming through and keeping those people happy. But it is not affecting the population that you're intending to serve and that you're trying to help. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, whether you really have the heart to do it and you're just messing it up or you really don't care and you're just taking the box. It doesn't matter. Those students are still suffering. So something has to change. So here's what I propose, because 
I'm the consultant. And as a consultant, we're problem solvers, right? So we're always trying to come up with solutions to problems. So my approach here is I have three ideas, three resources, put it that way, three resources that I will start with. I have one idea that I think is, I think it's great. You may or may not agree with me, but here's my idea. This is something that can be done right away. Every college campus across the country, instantly, you can do this. There is a book that is called Racism, Science and Tools for the Public Health Professional. It is published by the American Public Health Association, and it addresses racism. It says it right there in the title. It's a tool. It's for public health use, but it's in, it's you, it is used for the, the purpose of helping take all of the, the evidence, the research, the, the work that's been done in recent years to show that there, there's a problem here and racism does impact health. It gives you tools for how to implement that, how to start making the change, how to start to level the field. And it can happen really quickly, but it starts with a, a conversation. So here's my idea. If every college campus, if the dean was to purchase, was require the faculty to purchase this book. So you can purchase it for them or you can require them to purchase it, the book themselves. It's no different than when you require a textbook for a course and you expect your students to buy that book and you don't really question whether or not they have the money to buy it. It's they're in school and they need that book. It's a tool and resource to help with learning in that course. And the expectation is that they get that book, however, they need to get that book. And so they can do the assignments and the material, right? Same thing. If you require that of your faculty members to have that book, they can either purchase it or you can purchase it for them. It's available in hardback and ebook, so there are great options. And here's the fun part. If they all purchase the book and it's required reading, you could take the first chapter, for example, and have the faculty read that chapter and provide, say, a one or two page review of that chapter that includes their insights how it made them feel, what they learned from that, what could they take from that chapter and apply immediately in their classroom. Have them give you two or three pointers. It's a simple assignment. It would be an excellent continuing education opportunity for your faculty and it can start the discussion. You have to have the you have to communicate with faculty, okay? So you ABC University of the Americas, you have to start somewhere. So if you have a tool like this and you give that to your faculty members and you require that type of assignment, that's brilliant. It's easy. It starts the discussion. You have to start somewhere. Start with step one, the first chapter, the introduction. You could ask them to just get the book, read the introduction and give you their impressions of what to expect and their feelings and some feedback. That's starting and that can happen instantly. You can break it down and have each department have start with your school of public health. If you need to break it down there, schools of public health can start this. You work on this with your faculty each week, a different chapter. Okay. Once a month, a different chapter. Have that, that feedback, have those discussions, document those. What, what did you find? Well, you're going to learn so much about yourself and your team and the group, but the, the key, the key takeaway each time needs to be something that those faculty members can apply in the classroom right away. 
either fostering discussions, have them use that tool. I think it's excellent. I mean, if it's good enough for us to do that with the students that we teach and the requirement, then why not have it as faculty requirement? I think it's phenomenal. I will give you links to this in the show notes to make it really easy. So the show notes for this episode will include links to this tech, the textbooks I'm talking about and some of the resources from the American Public Health Association that describe the book. And you can find out more about that. You can go all into it if you like. But that's something that doesn't require um, much upfront. It's quick to implement and you, you have something to start with. Okay. It can, it, if you have a person in your office, in, in your university who has a title of, you know, multicultural director of whatever fancy so and so like that, then don't just give them this book, have them read it and then charge them with the, the task of educating the entire university on racism. Everyone needs to take their own role in this. Everyone needs to take their, take up their own responsibility for learning and teaching themselves. Just have someone that's going to facilitate the discussions, guide the discussions. It can be great enhancement. It should not be the whole responsibility of one person on campus to do, to teach everyone about that. Okay. That's one idea. I love it. I think it's brilliant. You can let me know what you think about it later, but I personally think it's a brilliant idea. And that book is available. It's a great resource, and I want you to dig into it. You can find out more about it later, but I'm going to keep moving so that I can cover two more resources. Two other resources I have are people that I've come across in the last, oh, year or so um, that I'm in awe of the work that they do. The first person that I'm going to mention to you is... um, yeah, I'm going to come back to her. I'm just I'm change this up a little. The first person that I'm going to mention is Dr. Janice Gassum. She is a, TED, a TEDx speaker, Forbes contributor, keynote speaker, workshop facilitator. She helps businesses foster diversity, equity, and inclusion. She works with all sorts of businesses, universities. She has a podcast and she hosts workshops called Diversity Dinner Dialogue, where she facilitates discussions around diversity. She's the one who had the video about how you can interact, you know, use your platform to share, start discussions and have the conversations about diversity. She makes it really practical and breaks it down. And she, this is what she loves. This is what she's good at. This is what she does for, this is her business. So she have, I've seen where she's been in, you know, she's visited universities and talked to, to groups of students. This is an excellent resource. So instead of just hiring someone to fill up spot and checking a box to say that you have someone on faculty, you know, for diversity inclusion, and then doing that all wrong and, and overworking them and overwhelming them and not giving them resources and support and wonder why you can't keep that position filled for more than three or four months at a time. Okay. So I'm, I am right now talking directly to my, my daughter's school. In the last three years, they've had at least, I don't know, three or four different people in that role or, or it's either vacant. So instead of, you know, trying to fill that one spot and doing that all wrong, bring in a consultant. Someone whose passion is to help universities like yours to level this gap and to really help not just the faculty, but into this, this the classroom. So the reason I'm targeting the faculty is because that trickles into the classroom. And without these students, you know, part of it is the, 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 the faculty needs to be aware 
and needs to be having the conversations. It's not a matter of being perfect. It's a matter of just starting somewhere. The students have to have a, a place where not just where the black students go off on their own and feel safe to talk about it, but where they can collectively talk about this because the white students that don't understand it need to be educated properly. They, the awareness needs to be heightened so that everyone can be empowered to change. This is not just on the black community to change. It's not just for the black students who, you know, to be charged with making this change. Everyone can play a part in this. Everyone can have a part in this, you know, a role on this team. So you need culturally competent faculty to lead in discussions with your students. These are our our leaders of the future. We don't need to perpetuate more and more of the same old, same old kind of organizations that have been existing forever and then further divides. We need to start having these difficult conversations. So she is one resource. Her business is interesting. I really like the title. It's BWG Business Solutions. Black, white, green. I like that if you think about it. Well, and also I have to add this point in speaking to my daughter's school for a second here. Sometimes the decisions we make about what programs we sow into or not are driven by the money. That's true, right? So my thinking is instead of relying on the old money that you're used to receiving, that's supporting all the things that you're doing and advancing and being so afraid of losing the old money stream, what would happen If you focused on really making impact and change and progressing forward, what about all the new green money that would be available to you from all the sources that would love to pour into the innovative and effective ways that you are empowering this new generation of leaders coming out of your university? Something to think about. You may be less afraid of, you know, losing the old money in exchange for the excitement of gaining the new money. Something to think about. That leads me to my last, my second, my last resource. And this person I met at a conference. I've interacted with her quite a bit on social media, and I've watched her for a long time. This is, I'm talking about Dr. Shanita Seeley Jefferson. She is one of the most phenomenal professors, women, beings that I've met in a long time. She works for the Ohio State University College of Public Health. She is also an independent consultant. She's phenomenal because she is being herself. She's what my grandmother would call an old soul. You know, she's full of wisdom that is far beyond her years. Like, to me, I've listened to some of the things that she says. I read some of her comments, and I'm surprised at how much wisdom pours out of someone as young. She hasn't lived long enough to have that kind of wisdom, is the way I would see it, the way I interpret old soul. But she is such, she's educated. She's, she's, she's so many wonderful, positive words that I just can't even find the right phrases to describe her. But what really gets me is that her ability to connect so many different people is what is almost magical. She is being herself. She's not trying to pretend to be any other way. She is herself everywhere all the time. When I met her in person, she had the same sense of humor that she has on social media. 
And she's just herself. She's a mother. She's a professional. She's doing all these things. She has the ability to have these conversations, these difficult conversations that I'm talking about in a way that pulls everyone in and empowers everyone. She talks about how she reaches, you know, her, the white students and the black students. They're in, they're engaged. They're ready to take action. She is someone that speaking again now to my daughter's school, you need to get in touch with Dr. Shanita Seeley Jefferson. And you need to have a conversation about how you can how you can start to make these improvements on campus because what you've been doing is not working and there needs to be a dramatic change. These two examples, Dr. Seeley Jefferson and my previous example, with Dr. Janice Gasson. These are two resources that can help you immensely because these people have the talent, the skill, the knowledge, the ability, the drive. Because they're passionate about this topic, they have a a high level of patience that goes along with navigating these sort of discussions and workshops and these and these are just two people that I know that I wanted to mention on the podcast episode. If you spend a little bit of time, you're going to find a whole lot more examples. I would even bet that if you reached out to either of these two and they weren't able to help you, they would know a lot of other people to direct you to. I could find a few more if I spent some time researching just through my own network. They are, there are a lot of people who really are passionate about making these sort of changes. And if you are a university that is stuck behind the times, and you will know if you ask your students, ask your students, assess your students' body, really listen to what they have to say, take a look around. And if you're ready to really make a difference, which you need to be because you're doing a disservice to all students on campus, not just the black students, but you're doing a disservice to all students on campus if you are not willing to take action. So for everyone who's listening, if you are faculty, share this episode with your upline, your supervisor. If you're a director, implement one of these strategies. Take the book of, that's the easiest one. Take the book option. At the very least, get your department reading that book and discussing it. Start somewhere. If you're listening, you're a student. If something, if this is resonating with you, share this episode. This is the one thing I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I'm going to ask right now. My ask, my one favor that I'm asking of all of you who are listening, if you've gotten to this point in the conversation, if you've listened this far into the episode, I'm going to ask you for one thing. I'm going to ask you to share this podcast episode with someone else. Share it with another faculty member, share it with your supervisor. If you work at a university, share it within your, your, your dean, the dean at a university. If you're not associated with a university, pick one in your area and share it with them. I'm asking you to share this because I'm having a very difficult conversation, but it's only difficult because it's just very emotionally charged. It comes from a place of hurt but at the same time, I'm, I'm so solution focused that I know it requires action. And sometimes I don't have to be the one to come up with a full solution. I might just be the one to encourage you to take the next step. And I'm okay with that, but I'm doing my part because I'm opening up, I'm pouring out and I've got to do something. And this is a 
I feel productive and I feel like this is the best way to address it because all the other alternatives that came to mind for handling this problem just weren't really very pretty. So I'm taking this approach. Now, if I'm still having these feelings and nothing has changed and some time has passed, then I may have to go to step two. But all I'm saying is right now, this is what I would like to see happen. I would like to see all of us taking a step. One step I'm asking right now is sharing this episode. You can come up with all sorts of ideas of your own, how you want to run with this. Go for it. Send me a message and let me know what you've done, how this makes you feel. You know, I'm, I'm all ears on that, but I need, I need the help of my community. This is something that not one person can solve. This is not something that we, we need to help our small group of students on campus, our students of color, our black students, our other students of color that are suppressing. They're learning how to suppress these feelings. They're struggling with the regular issues and strains and stressors of college life. And then we're, they're adding on this layer of racism. And what we know from the book that I've already referenced and what research has shown us is that we're only have, we're, we're part of the negative impact of their future health. Because if they're right now suppressing all of this and packing it all down, then it's going to show up in their health, not far, not too far in the future. So these are things that we, we just have to do. We have to do something. We have to do something different. And maybe this is not the end all solution, but it's something and it's better than what is happening right now because what's happening right now is not working. Now, one little thing I'll add to this is that if you are a university or if you're part of a university that is really doing it well, if you're a student and you're like, my university, we don't have those, you really feel like you don't have that issue there. If you are part of the faculty, if you are leading your public health, school of public health, and you know that you all are taking actions and really doing things well, and you're really moving forward, like real forward action on this, then call your neighbor university down the road across the county and share with them what you're, do- what you're doing. Because I guarantee you, there are other schools not too far from you who are so backwards and so lost and so confused, and they're pretending they're doing it, they're doing it well. On the outer area, uh, layer, it looks like to everyone else, they're taking all this action, and beside, behind the scenes, the students are suffering. And they're suffering in silence, and they're learning how to suffer in silence even better than we did. So if you're doing it well, great. Now reach over to your neighbor and teach them what you're doing. Share with them what you're doing. Enlighten them. Um, we have to all play a role in this. And um, and that's all I want to say about that. Thank you for uh, the patience of listening this long and, and being here with me on this episode. And thank you in advance for the actions that you will take that will help improve these outcomes. All right, you guys, to find the show notes, this is uh, for this episode. This is episode 131. You can visit my website, drchhuntley.com, and that's D-R-C-H-H-U-N-T-L-E-Y.com, and then click on the podcast tab from the main menu, and from there, just navigate to episode 131. You'll find the links to the resources I mentioned, the book, and then both of my colleagues that I mentioned in this episode, and I encourage you to reach out to them. All right, everyone, until next time, have a fantastic rest of your day. 
Thank you for listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast at drchuntley.com.